This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Michael Baer, CFO of Wasabi Technologies, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 457. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Sean Quinn, CFO of Simpress. Sean reveals how Simpress has steadily and purposefully rejected a quarterly mindset and advanced a long-term view for the company's performance. That discussion begins after these words from our sponsor. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-size organizations embrace the future with confidence, visit us at Workday.com. Simpress goes to market with over 20 brands today, including Vistaprint, which uh, I'm a customer. Sean, welcome back. Thanks a lot, Jack. Thanks for having me back. Sean uh, stepped into the CFO role at Simpress back in 2015, and we enjoyed learning about his uh, career journey when he joined us on episode 356. Uh, But we invited him back this episode to explore a topic we touched on briefly last time with him. We wanted to explore it a bit more. And that topic is moving from a quarterly mindset to a long-term mindset and how that impacts the types of metrics you look at to determine success. Now, I think many finance leaders out there would tell us it's easy to sometimes get trapped in a quarterly mindset and not be able to bring the long-term into focus. And, uh, well, that, that really undermines the ability to see the big picture, I would imagine. But, Sean, don't let me uh, ramble on here. Why do you think this is an important topic for finance leaders? 
Well, I think um, well, there's 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 two two parts of that. One is the the shift from kind of a, a shorter term mindset to a longer term mindset, or doing the right things for the long term. And then the second topic is metrics. Of course, they're both crucially important. Um, yeah, I think different different companies have different capital structures, different shareholders, um, and so on. The first topic, short term versus long term. Of course, um, yeah, I think the way you act, the way you behave, and what your objectives are need to be aligned to the types of investors that you have. And so if you are, let's say, private equity backed and there's an exit expected in the next year or two, then that might drive a certain set of behaviors. Um, if you're a company that has shareholders with a very long-term mindset, um, then that might indicate something different. I think the, the challenge, and this is not uh, a new topic, it's been you know, debated in public forums for, for some years now, and I, I feel like it's ramped up a little bit more recently, um, is how does this all apply to public companies and what's healthy for public companies? And, um, you know, I've been in the CFO role for a little over three years now. Um, we've changed quite a bit as a company over the, the time that I've, I've been here, which is a little over nine years. Um, and I think we've changed for the better in pretty material ways. Um, yeah, I think that there's a danger as a public company um, and with uh, the obvious pressures of Wall Street and guidance and other things that you kind of wire, wire the company to behave a certain way and, and, uh, and focus on just the, kind of the three months in front of you. And um, it's very common for public companies to drive towards, you know, squeezing out an extra penny VPS to hit Wall Street estimates and things like that, which if, you know, if you just own the company outright and you thought about the company in that way, you might do things quite differently. Um, and so uh, that's a transition that, that we've made over the last, um, you know, over the last decade in particular. We went public in September of 2005. Um, and, of course, in those early days, you know, those quarterly uh, guardrails um, are, are very present, um, and, and that's important. Um, one of the things that we were fortunate to do is to, over time, attract um, some shareholders with a much you know, longer-term view, and they, fortunately, over time, you know, convinced us uh, of some things that uh, we now believe to be uh, just the way the way that we should act, but that's the way that we should act for our shareholder base, so it's appropriate for us. Um, but, you know, when I started at the company, Jack, we, this is back in 2009, we had, you know, quarterly bonus programs, and so you know, behaviors were very much focused on uh, maximizing things for, you know, for that particular quarter. Uh, we reached a point in uh, about 2011 that we realized that we were investing with too short-term of a horizon, um, and we needed to take a step back, um, take a longer-term view, and really make sure that we were doing the right things for the health of the business over the long term. Now, that doesn't mean not executing in the short term. That's, of course, crucially important. Um, but making sure that we're doing the right things for the long-term health of the business and the cash flows that we'll generate, you know, over over many years. Um, so we, we made a number of changes, and I'm happy to talk uh, more about these. But I just give you a little bit of a sample. Maybe, um, you know, over time uh, we changed the way that we provide guidance uh, to the street. Um, we used to do that quarterly, you know, in a pretty traditional sense, revenue EPS. Um, we moved that to uh, to be annual, and then we move that to be um, uh, what is somewhat untraditional. Uh, we, we now give two things. One is kind of revenue growth expectations over a multi-year period, 
um, and then we uh, describe in some detail where we're investing in the business and the uh, types of returns that we expect on those. Um, and we've done that to make sure that we're thinking about investing where the returns are going to be um, uh, above or well above our cost of capital, uh, rather than, which is what our shareholders want us to do, rather than uh, being kind of trapped in this cycle of quarterly uh, quarterly guidance and, um, you know, do we squeeze out that extra penny BPS doing, you know, kind of shorter-term actions. Uh, just regarding quarterly guidance in the street, the emphasis for the finance leadership had to move to explaining to the street. It was up to you to sort of educate the investment community. Can you give us any sense of that effort? It, it, it's not something you did, you know. Yeah, yeah I, there's a few important parts to it. One is that um, you, you, you don't get to some final state overnight, you know, so it takes, it takes time, it takes you know, years to gradually transition to whatever it is that's, you know, right for, for, for your company or your shareholders. So that's, um, uh, that's one. Two is that you have to realize that not everyone's going to like it. And, you know, one of the things that, um, that was really important is some of the shareholders that, um, that had come into Simpress, who was Vista Print at the time, um, uh, were, uh, were, were telling us, you know, you, you need to, you need to, be confident and communicate um, the way that you, you know, basically the way that you want to act is the way that you should communicate. And if you do that consistently, then you'll attract attract like-minded um, shareholders, and you kind of you attract the shareholders that you deserve. And um, that was a really important part because uh, I think without that, um, we may not have you know been kind of had that nudge to to come over the finish line and and, and go for it. And the reality is that um, uh, oftentimes, in the immediate, uh, the immediate reaction is a negative one from a um, you know, from a Wall Street perspective. Um, usually, when you take away some amount of guidance that is shorter term, you know, some folks view that as you know, taking some guardrails away, um, taking some uh, certainty away, and therefore um, you, know, you, you may trade down. But you, you have to just have the confidence that if it's the right thing, measured over you know the next to do it, and um, uh, but of course you need to do it thoughtfully. Um, you have a responsibility to shareholders, um, and importantly, do it over time. So you know, take um, you know, take kind of a series of actions over time to get to the end state, rather than you know, get there by ripping the bandaid off. Which is not how these things tend to work. Now, did the mix of analysts following the company change over that time? Those analysts at any given time. Uh, may may uh, you know pay closer attention to the company may not want to follow it. What was that sort of the give and take there? Yeah, the, um, uh, the, so there was a change there for sure. Um, I think you know, at one point we had uh, eleven sell side analysts that covered us. We now have three, um, so that's a big change. And there's a lot of companies that would uh, think you know a company of our size should have far more than three sell side analysts. Now, um, when you take away uh, near-term guidance, um, kind of more traditional guidance like quarterly revenue or quarterly EPS guidance, um, it does make it tougher for people to model the business, right? And, and so that is a trade-off, and that's something that we accept. And 
um, you know, we basically, we weren't trying to optimize for a quarter, and so we didn't feel like, if, if you know, if that's not how we wanted to act, and we were acting, we didn't think that people externally should act that way. Recognize some people would, would come out of the name, um, and some of the soft side analysts may no longer want to cover us, and that in fact happened. Um, you know, we still have uh, three that follow us, and, and, and it, is, it is tougher for them because they have to do the work to come up with their own model and expectations based on the information we do provide. Um, and there's a kind of a, a wider range of, of estimates. You know, the consensus estimates on a given quarter um, uh, are a much wider range than, uh, than many companies who have, uh, you know, a broader following and provide more traditional guidance. So that, that, creates, um, that creates a little bit of volatility. Um, now, some shareholders with a very long-term view uh, might be attracted to that as well because it can provide more, maybe more opportunity for them to do the work, really understand something that may be um, relatively you know, misunderstood. Um, but again, it's not, it's not for everyone, um, and it does, it does require some change. So I realize you're boiling uh, things down for us and uh, supplying us with sort of a, an abbreviated roadmap of what, what needed to be done. But maybe you can give us just a few more of the steps were the key steps that were taken? Um, yeah, sure, yeah. So there's, um, yeah, I think there's a, there's a number of other things that, that we changed along this uh, along this continuum. Um, and, you know, I think with the benefit of, of hindsight, you know, we think that they were they were really good changes. Um, uh, and fortunately, uh, those changes have allowed us to attract like-minded shareholders, which, you know, I really believe is a competitive advantage. Um, but there are a few other things. I mean, we talked a bit about, about about guidance, I think um, there's a number of other things that changed over time. Um, if you if you were to look at the way that we communicate externally, that certainly evolved uh, over the last you know five or so years. Our CEO and founder Robert Keane um, every year writes a letter to shareholders. Uh, now that um, is, I think, a, a very candid uh, overview summary uh, from from him of you know, how how we did over the last year. Um, gives an update on where we've allocated capital, where that's gone well, where that hasn't, in pretty you know plain words. Um, and there's a number of metrics that we provide in there too that are kind of a bit unique, and um, and I can I can share a little bit more uh, about that. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll maybe come back to that because I know you wanted to talk about metrics uh, as well. And I'll mention one other thing, which is you know, when um, and this this in a way gets to metrics too, but. Um, you need to have uh, an incentive system as well that's aligned to how you want people to behave. And that's the other big thing, that uh, big topic that evolved for us. I mentioned when I started at the company in 2009, we had a quarterly um, bonus program tied to revenue and, and EPS performance. Um, so, of course, the behavior was you know, very much geared towards, uh, towards what happened that quarter. Um, that evolved over time. In 2016, we made a, a fairly significant shift to, uh, in particular, our long-term incentive programs um, to forego some of the more traditional um, traditional incentive mechanisms that companies use, like restricted shares and options, uh, and we put in place a program um, that uses performance share units. Um, and I will go, we, we would probably need 10 minutes to go through the, the, the program, but in short, um, uh, the performance um, the performance hurdles are based on the, the performance of um, our uh, average share price over a fairly long period of time, um, six year 
the first uh, is the first opportunity for uh, a payout under under this plan, um, and it's, it's essentially set up such that um, if our long-term shareholders do very well, the people that participate in that program uh, also will do very well. Um, but if they don't, then then there will be no payout. So. Um, so that was that's just one example of the um, you know, changes or evolution of our incentive systems as well. Um, so that not only were we trying to change some of the the biases or uh, frictions in terms of how we communicate or guidance or other things that might inhibit us being able to um, uh, to, to, to act with a kind of a long term view, um, but also then importantly change incentives to make sure that our leaders were doing the same. Um, and really, we're trying to line everyone up to think about, um, um, you know, how do we maximize returns on capital that we invest, and we'd like to continue to invest a lot of capital if we can have great returns, um, and in the end, um, have that lead to increases in our per, per share uh, value, um, and that's measured over, you know, over many years. In a way, uh, you mentioned that you think this topic has been around for quite some time and debated and discussed. Uh, but it seems to be top of mind again uh, for whatever reason. Uh, is the reason in part that uh, finance leaders like yourself, of course, um, so many finance leaders are looking to become more strategic in a sense and therefore uh, more big picture and, and somehow long term and big picture sort of align together uh, in many ways? I mean, am I oversimplifying that or <laughs> how you look at the world? Is it different? Well, I think what you said is definitely true that, that um, you know, I think finance leaders, uh, I mean, all leaders, but I think finance leaders uh, in particular, this has evolved over, the, over, over recent years where um, there has to be a much more strategic focus, and that's really expected um, uh, by the rest of the business. And um, to, so I think that is definitely true. I think that the, the, the focus on, you know, kind of short-term versus long-term that you sometimes see covered in the media and stuff is coming more from the shareholder community um, recognizing that um, there's some behavior that is uh, sort of inherent in the in the in the process and just the the way of the way of the world today um, that's not healthy and uh, and that we need to, we need to change that um, and uh, you know, people like Larry Fink, who's the chairman of BlackRock, and of course Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon and you know, all, all these other names um, are kind of leading the charge on that. And even if you read you know Jeff Bezos' shareholder letters every year, um, there's no shortage of you know, very successful but very long-term focused um, names out there that are trying to bring this to the forefront. And I think they're trying to do that um, on behalf of. The, um, the investment community and on behalf of in investors that are entrusting their capital with these organizations to make sure that um, uh, people are really looking at long-term returns as opposed to, you know, just trying to, um, you know, jack up the share price over the next couple of months. Uh, because as we know, the share price, you know, all share prices go up and down, but that's not really an indication necessarily of, you know, changes in, in, in value that needs to be measured over time. When you think about uh, the part of your day and how important these communications are to the investment community and how important it is to continue to, to, to keep that long-term mindset, the part of your day dedicated to this, the part of your job overall week dedicated to this, if, versus a, a CFO in a similarly sized, privately held 
<laughs> company. You know, do you ever wonder if they spend their time, you know, how they spend their days given the investment that's required here um, sometimes? It's a great analogy, and interestingly enough, um, you know, the, the, our, our large shareholders would, um, like, you know, if, if they were sitting in the room with me, would encourage me to act, I think, try and spend my time more like the, the private company CFO. Um, so, of, of course, you know, there's a certain amount of uh, investor communications and investor relations that my role requires, and we need to make sure that we're transparent and provide good information, uh, and we think we do that. Um, but otherwise, trying to limit the amount of time that we spend on these activities so that it can be focused on um, on the business. And you know, we've a lot of what we've tried to do is um, create, you know, in, in many ways, kind of a private company mindset, but within the within the shell of a of a public company. And you know, if if, if you had a private company that you own 100% of, you would just make different decisions. And unfortunately, sometimes in a public company context, you get caught in this vortex of Wall Street and these traps. And um, so, you know, I very intentionally have tried to change the way that I allocate my time um, so that I can spend more time, you know, with Robert, our CEO, and, and uh, on these important uh, topics within the business um, and relatively less time on um, you know, investor uh, investor communications. Now, that said, you know that is a, you know, it's obviously critical that we do that well. And uh, but we also have um, a great team that you know spends all of their time uh, doing that. And um, and uh, you know, I've given them the space to, to do that because they do a great job. I just wonder too. You arrived in 2009. You stepped into the uh, CFO role in 2015. We covered some of this when we first uh, learned about your your career trajectory, uh, Sean. At the same time, uh, that's sort of the period when Simpris uh, is transforming uh, or, or is on this journey from quarterly to long term. Or was it a shorter time span? Uh, no, that's a, that's about right. Um, the, the, some of the biggest changes had just happened prior to uh, to me stepping into the CFO role. Um, and our, our prior CFO is now the CFO at, at, uh, at TripAdvisor. He left to take the TripAdvisor role, um, which is what opened up the opportunity for, for me to step in. Um, so some of these, uh, much of this was kind of, you know kind of laid down uh, um, just before I stepped into the role. But then we've continued to evolve it, and um, you know I. I feel very fortunate that um, I get to spend time with the shareholders that we have, um, some of which are on our board now, too. And, you know, I, I am convinced that um, it's the right way to do things. Again, you need to have the right um, you know, kind of capital behind you in order to behave in that way. I do believe it's the, the right way to do things, and um, it would be hard to – it would be very hard for me to operate in an environment which is more kind of typical typical – typical public company uh, behavior. Now, I want to circle back with you on metrics. Are there, you know, are you beginning to see new uh, success metrics uh, come forward in the organization? Are you identifying uh, such metrics? Yeah, there's no question. And, uh, yeah, the, the availability of data is, um, you know, increasing every day. We happen to have a set of businesses that, 
you know, pretty data rich. Um, you know, Vistaprint is the example that you know, most people who probably listen to your podcast would be familiar with. Vistaprint has you know millions and millions of um, very small transactions. Um, you know, e- each year, right? So there's just a lot of a lot of data behind that. Um, you know, my my role, Jack, is maybe a little bit different than some of the more kind of like operating CFO roles because Simpress is essentially, I mean, it's a strategically focused group of businesses, and my role is at the parent company, and so we have uh, changed some of the metrics that that we focus on, and I can um, I can describe that. That might be that might be interesting. It, it is probably a little different than some operating CFO roles where. Um, you know, kind of the the, the, the dashboarding KPIs um, that you know are in front of people every every minute, every day. You know, are evolving. Um, that's a little bit less applicable uh, in my role. Um, one of the things that that we changed. Uh, so we, we've really we've we've tried to get. We we had for the longest time um, kind of wired the organization to focus very much um, uh, on certain profitability metrics. And that was in the context of a company that was growing very quickly, throwing off a lot of cash, uh, had no debt on the balance sheet, and structurally has very positive, um, uh, very favorable working capital cycles. Um, and as we um, as we started to think about how we could leverage our balance sheet in different ways, um, we um, uh, we started to take on debt to do acquisitions, uh, to fund share repurchases. Um, and in, in, in the end, levered, levered our balance sheet in a, in a different way than we had in the past, um, which meant that uh, focusing on um, on cash flow uh, rather than just profitability uh, was that much more important. It's always, uh, I think, the most important thing, but it was that much more important. Um, about two years ago, we changed the metric that we use ultimately for, for budgeting purposes from something that was kind of a more traditional profitability metric to um, an unlevered free cash flow metric, which encompasses a set of things that people throughout our businesses weren't necessarily focused on uh, or as focused on as we want them to be, like working capital cycles, like the cash tax impacts of investment decisions or a day-to-day activity um, that each of our businesses is executing on, um, and there are some others as well. Um, you know, it's interesting, I think, with, with any metric, um, you know, you – you, can, you have to measure what matters. There's a, a book I read recently about that, uh, which is quite good. Um, and the organization will focus on kind of what you what you ask them to focus on. Um, and when you can make that measurable and put it in front of people and hold people accountable to it and put incentive systems in place uh, around that, um, the organization very quickly, I think, adapts to that. Um, so that's definitely happened with us. Um, I use the unlevered free cash flow as an example um, but I think uh, if, if it's, you know, kind of at a more operating level, uh, more granular metrics, the same, uh, the same would be true. I, uh, you mentioned the book. You teased us. You didn't, you didn't tell us the title. <laughs> I think if I remember correctly last time you asked for a book recommendation, I, I did bring a, a few. Um, um, the book that references um, the book called uh, Measure What Matters, and um, it's, uh, it, it's a it's, it's a book uh, uh, really about about metrics and how um, you know, to use metrics to focus the organization, focus efforts, coordinate efforts, so that as work is done in silos, you know, it can be coordinated, objectives are aligned, 
um, and ultimately use that to um, to fuel you know growth and agility throughout the company. And uh, the author describes this process that he used, and he's used it in uh, many large and very successful organizations like Google. Um, um, but this this concept of OKRs, uh, objectives, and key results. Um, but the book is titled Measure What Matters, um, and uh, I've definitely re- recommend it to the to the CFO community here. Thank you. That's a, uh, it's always great to get a, another title. Uh, when it comes to forecasting, can you can you share with us what what's your mindset on forecasting? Has it uh, have you continued to you know point a new direction there as well? Um, so. Yeah, um, so the, from, a, from a forecasting perspective, um, that's also where, you know, in my role it might be slightly different than, um, you know, than some of the kind of more operating CFO roles given the kind of holding company nature of, of Simpress. But, you know, we, we really try to push the, um, the forecasting muscles deeper into the organization um, so that that's really being fully controlled by each of our businesses um, and then we've put kind of an operating system around that um, for us to review both actual performance and then forecast um, to understand um, uh, performance, uh, make sure we hold people accountable, and also uh, understand uh, the returns on uh, you know, where we're allocating our capital. Do you find you're spending time with different parts of the organization, or is your role organizationally uh, pretty much set. Uh, again, sometimes I think it reveals something when a finance leader tells us, oh, well, I'm spending a lot of time with the sales team, or I'm trying to, to, to get into their you know, monthly meeting more frequently. I, I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe you would say, you know, we've been there for a while, so it's not really a, a timely question for us. I, I'm not sure what you'd share. But that's what I'm trying to discover about. When you look at your role, whether there are people you wanted to be connecting with more regularly in senior management, and therefore, you know, you took steps to make that happen. Yeah, uh, certainly. Um, and, you know, I can, I can think of a few key kind of functions and executives. I think there's two, there's two parts of the answer to your question as it relates to my role. Um, so one, one of those people is our uh, CTO. We're making significant investments in technology. Um, uh, you know, we need to understand the impact of those, um, think about um, how we'll achieve returns on all that capital that we're investing there. Um, there's also, I think, an important um, uh, interaction between my team and his team in, in many ways. So, anyway, so that, was, that was someone in particular, our CTO, that, um, that I've been very intentionally spent more time with, and uh, and that's been that's been very fruitful. Um, now, the, the, I think I mentioned this in the last podcast of yours that I that I had done, but we moved um, back in uh, at the beginning of 2017. We changed uh, our organizational strategy to push towards much more decentralization, um, and so that's that's required us to have to kind of rewire some of our operating routines. Which speaks to your question around, you know, around forecasting, around metrics, around, um, you know, who are you spending time with? One of the things that um, we've had to do as part of that, and uh, um, is is to, to think about what are the routines that we're going to use to measure performance, to evaluate uh, where we might want to invest, you know, 
success or more in the business, um, get updates on strategy and, and related strategic topics. So we've kind of rewired um, the, uh, many of the interactions that we have with our business leaders um, to focus much of those conversations in, in sessions with them and their teams that are you know, kind of quarterly business reviews, um, which is necessary in a decentralized world where you have you know, a portfolio of a, a group of businesses versus when you're kind of more just you know, one company and the executive team might come together and discuss some, you know, some of those similar topics. So that's been really important for, uh, for, for me and for our CEO to make sure that you know, we um, have the right touch points with our businesses, um, that we're reviewing performance, holding them accountable, um, but also understanding um, you know, where we should be investing you know, more or less. We'll be back with our final question for Sean Quinn, CFO of Simpress, after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. So, Sean, as you know, we always like to, uh, before you get off, we always like to ask our finance leaders uh, what their priorities are likely to be over the next 12 months. Uh, this being the start of the year, I'd love to ask you that very question as we look down through 2019. What are your priorities this year? Yeah, the, um, we, so we, we operate on a June 30 fiscal year, so my, uh, my sort of body clock is uh, on a June year, but of course, um, as you cross the calendar year, it's always a time to reflect and, uh, and think about what's ahead, uh, both personally and, um, and as it relates to, uh, to work. Um, you know, I think the, the biggest things for us are, um, you know, one, continuing to really cement in this new, you know, new kind of newly or relatively newly decentralized organization that, um, that I talked about and, and, and the kind of all the wiring that relates to that to make sure that we have the right kind of operating systems uh, for Simpress to go forward. Um, uh, two is, um, you know, to continue to be laser focused on, on our strategy and making sure that um, all the investments that we have been making, um, you know, are, uh, are uh, put in a situation where they're able to be as successful as possible. Um, and then, you know, lastly, um, some of the topics around um, incentives and, uh, um, you know, how do we make sure that our leaders are focused on the right things and um, incentivized to behave in a certain way has been a very important topic we've been discussing over the last months, and that's something that we really need to drive to the finish line um, uh, over the next uh, weeks and months here. So uh, those are just some of the topics, and um, uh, but certainly looking forward to, uh, to a fruitful 2019. Sean Quinn, thank you once again for joining us on CFO Ball Leader. Thanks, Jack, for having me. Appreciate it.
Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.